For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red flood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, a winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Brucott to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans, from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the CU at the Game website and your host for the CU at the Game podcast. Brad Geiger and Neil Langland are back, and we're gearing up for the 2022 season. The Pac-12 Media Day is in the books, and Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyavkov didn't mince words when it came to the Big 12 and possible additional poaching of Pac-12 schools. Klyavkov said, Let's be very clear. No Pac-12 school is joining the Big 12. Which, of course, is true, until it isn't true. We'll break down the current options for the remaining Pac-12 schools, as well as what options Colorado has going forward. We then turn our attention back to the Buffs and the opening of fall camp. Carl Durrell, as you might have expected, downplayed the media's projections of a last-place finish for the Buffs, saying... We know what's there, and there's a lot of people who don't know. We'll take a unit-by-unit look at what's expected from your buffs out of fall camp, including the crucial decision of naming a starting quarterback. Will the buffs be better than the experts project? Are there all Pac-12 players in the locker room which the pundits missed? Will there be any news of note coming out of the Champion Center during fall camp? Or will buff fans be kept in the dark? until TCU comes to Folsom Field on September 2nd. Let's find out. Okay, and we are back with Brad Geiger at Highlands Ranch, Colorado. How's Brad doing? Doing pretty well. It's been a beautiful summer and heading on into the last month of it. Okay, and Neil... I tend to look down upon people at Larimer Square, Langland. How are you doing? Well, I'm just hanging out on my Chase Lounge here at the corner of 16th and Larimer, watching the river flow. Great summer afternoon down here. Okay. Well, now that the uh, the fans know where to find you, they can they can pick it at 16th and Larimer. Uh, <laughs> so we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the start of fall camp. We're going to talk about the Pac-12 and where it stands after Pac-12 Media Day. And we 
looking at fall camp and heading into the season. So Pac-12 Media Day, which is one day compared to four days for SEC and things like that. So apparently the Pac-12 knows its place. You can only keep media's attention for one day. George Klyavkov, commissioner for 13 months, gave the state of the state, I guess, address. And his speechwriter, of course, came up with the quote that everybody's been quoting. I appreciate the Big 12 being open for business. We haven't decided if we are going shopping. Of course, referencing the Big 12 commissioner's statement at their media days that the Big 12 was still open for business and looking for possible expansion opportunities. Uh, Brad, what did you have to think? What did you think about the commissioner of 13 months, George Klyapkov, in his second state of the state? Well, I mean, first of all, let's have a little bit of sympathy for George. He knew he was buying into a tough job. I don't know that he knew he was buying into a job that was this tough. The story was that he was taking his first vacation in years in Montana. And the second day, UCLA and USC announced their move. So if he is still somewhat reeling, I guess we can understand that. I find it interesting that we're portraying the Big 12 as the bad guy here. No shots were fired at the Big 10 and none at USC and UCLA which is, you know, understandable. We're still playing them, yada, 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 yada. But, you know, when Brutus is standing right behind you yelling about the rest of the lunch, everybody else (laughs) seems a bit much. But, you know, that's what we've got to deal with. And, you know, Kliakov, to his credit, appears to have headed off at least an immediate departure of the Arizona and CU and Utah schools. I don't think there's going to be a move to the Big 12 this fall, or at least they're going to give him Klikov a chance to negotiate. So it, he, that is the immediate enemy. And he went after him, and I thought there's a lot of whispering or whistling past the graveyard on this, but he's whistling hard. Yeah, a little feisty. Uh, <laughs> I'll give you another quote, Neil. I've been spending – Four weeks watching grenades being lobbed in from every corner of the Big 12. I get why they're scared. I get why they're trying to destabilize us. You with Brad, why are we picking on the entity that isn't taking two of our teams? Uh, That uh, he's worried about the Big 12 poaching and not so much worried about the Big 10 because he can't do anything about Goliath. We might as well take on another David. It's interesting the way this is shaking out. And since this is a sports podcast, I'll use a sports analogy. In high school, we played a variety uh, on the theme of dodgeball, which was we scattered about the gym and our teacher threw out four or five dodgeballs. And whoever got one first was able to survive. But literally, balls would come from everywhere. You couldn't trust anyone. Coalitions formed. It was a great game theory thing. That's what's going on here. And I think the Big 12 views itself in light of the valuation tentatively placed on Pac-12 games that they're a bit in, in a bit of a panic mode is that they don't have any inroad into any top level programs or what are now currently top level programs. So they're, they're going to grab what they can and if they have to rip flesh off the bone, they're going to do it. And that's kind of the way this is playing out right now. So Brad's right. You got to give credit 
to George. He's played this well so far, and he seems to, to be a salty character, willing to fight. And that's what we need right now is a cool head, but someone who's not going to take any crap. Okay. Well, last quote I'm going to give you, Brad. Uh, let's be very clear. No Pac-12 school is joining the Big 12. Now, you could put on your lawyer hat and say, well, there's only 10 teams, so it's not really the Pac-12 anymore. So uh, if any of them join the Big 12, he's not really making an inaccurate statement. So, But you seem to agree that whether it's because of the negotiations for media rights or just the fact that the season's about to begin, that it's going to be all quiet other than the rumor mill for the foreseeable future. It, that depends on how you define foreseeable. Um <laughs> I don't think a big change will occur during the season. I think the next push will come next spring. Um, so yeah, the, the, the no PAC 12 team is joining the big 12 today is about all you can say. Uh, they, we have to see what the money is going to look like and nobody know, nobody's going to make any decisions until we see what happens with the big 10. And once that bidding starts, we are the people who have to pick up whatever, crumbs are left. And until we know what those crumbs look like and who's going to get the bigger share of them, nothing will get done. We know that that's the next step. So, you know, that's that's what we're waiting for is, is how much and more importantly, who is going to be on the Big Ten. Okay. Yeah. Could I jump in there just for a second? I think Brad's right. And it's going to be the number crunchers at Fox and ESPN and at Notre Dame that are going to be calling these shots because essentially the Big Ten is now uh, pretty much a wholly owned subsidiary of Fox Sports and ESPN, the same with the SEC. Um, they will do whatever their networks tell them to do. Like you say, that the Big Ten contract was supposed to be announced in May, and apparently that was all put on hold while they were secretly negotiating with USC and UCLA to join. So that's why there was no announcement as to how that's going to play out. But yeah, if ESPN doesn't get a substantial slice of any of the Big Ten and they're still looking for content, then that makes life a little bit easier for the remnants of the Pac-12 and their contract negotiations. Otherwise, we're all going to be on Amazon and things like that and pretending that that's going to be like the Pac-12 network, that it, uh, it's wholly owned, so it must be really good. Well, let's go through a couple of scenarios. I mean, can the Pac-10 survive on its own? First, first option, do nothing. Everyone sticks together. No one leaves. No one joins. Can the Pac-10 as an entity survive in the, in the world of college football 2024? No. Neil? I don't think so either, because without marquee programs that the networks pay for, it's going to be difficult. And I think there's an optimization thing that really has no feasible solution for George, which is the grant of rights in the agreement needs to be strong enough with specified liquidated damages up front for the likes of Oregon, Stanford, and Washington to defer those teams from going to the Big Ten, should that ever happen. And at the same time, have enough money to keep teams happy and keep from shopping themselves. So I, it seems like an insolvable problem to me. 
And I waver between jump at the Big 12 while you have a chance, because if Stanford, Cal, Oregon, and Washington head off to the Big 10, we're, we're going to be in the Mountain West Conference, I think. Okay, so let's, you know, I'm just trying to do this incrementally here. So if we all agree that the Pac-10 as an entity can't survive, is not going to be competitive, Oregon and Washington aren't going to be one a part of it either. So if they're not going to leave, potentially or theoretically, the only way they would stay is if there were enough additions to generate more, whether it's San Diego State, Fresno State, SMU, TCU, Houston, pick your addition as to what you think might add some value. Would the rest of the Pac-10, 12, 14, 16 agree in exchange for a grant of rights from Oregon and Washington to give them more money, give them a greater slice of the pie, a la what the Big 12 did, allowing Texas to have its own network. Do you foresee that being something that Utah, Arizona, Colorado, Arizona State would live with, giving Oregon and Washington more money in order to get that deterrence and the grant of rights? Is that even a possibility? I think it'll be on the table. I think it'll be seriously considered. One never knows how proud anybody might get. But I see little question that Washington, Oregon will not at least seek some sort of advantage for staying in the Pac-12. I mean, we don't know yet that they're going to be asked to go in the Big Ten. I don't think USC was all that would be all that thrilled with Oregon coming with them. That wasn't the point of the endeavor. Right. Uh, So how much negotiating room Oregon and Washington has is really unclear. Will they ask? Yeah. Um, Will the other teams consider it? Yeah, but I think it's going to look that. I mean, at that point, you're talking numbers and that could get really very down and dirty. Yeah. Well, Neil, let me phrase it a different way. Do you, if you were Oregon and Washington, would you be willing to sign off on any sort of grant of rights when you're still hoping and praying for an invite to the Big Ten? Yeah. If it were short enough, if it were a four to five year contract, I would consider it. And I would try to get an escape clause. Right. But but if 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 it's a short contract with an escape clause, then we're just delaying the inevitable. It's like, they're going to leave. We know they're going to leave. Why bother? Right? The pact, excuse me, the Big 12 will still be there four years past that agreement. So there still might be that opportunity. For Oregon and Washington? Well, no. Okay, so Oregon and Washington will never want to go to the Big 12. Fair? Fair. Okay. Oregon and Washington will only sign on to the Pac-10, 12, 14 if they have an out in a short period of time or they'll have to give a grant rights or they get some extraordinary bonus from the other schools, which probably other schools aren't willing to give. So if that's the scenario, then Oregon and Washington are never going to agree to anything that will be beneficial to the four corner schools. The four corner schools are not going to give up anything to Oregon and Washington that will let them leave. So. There's really not a real good scenario where you can see the Pac-12 
surviving with Oregon and Washington being a part of it. Fair statement? Well, I've been I've been exposed grasping at straws here uh, as a desperate <laughs> CU fan. So, the harsh reality, Stuart, yes, I, you're right. Which then brings up the key question. If all this is so very predictable, isn't it time in the next year or two for CU to be the first rat off the ship and not the last? Well, that, that you, you stole my thunder because that was my next question. <laughs> that if there isn't a scenario where Oregon and Washington are going to stay in a scenario that the four corner schools would be content with, they're going to want to leave to the Big Ten at some point and not get agreed to anything that sticks them and you know to 2036 like the ACC school granted rights. They're not going to agree to anything ironclad that binds them when they want to leave the Pac-12. So there's not going to be a Pac-12 in the future that's going to include Oregon and Washington. Then wouldn't it be prudent for the University of Colorado at this point, whether it's with Utah and Arizona schools or some combination thereof, to seriously explore returning to the Big 12? Is that CU's best option going forward? Well, as much as I don't want to go back to Manhattan, Kansas, or Ames, uh, I think the logic of your position is pretty strong. And I'm not sure, tangentially to your question, if Washington and Oregon would not, at least for some period of time, accept a junior membership in the Big Ten, if the Big Ten were to offer that. If I were to see you, I'd jump at it in a heartbeat. Even a junior membership? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what Utah did to join the Pac-12. They didn't, I, get, a, they didn't get a full share for three or four years. Didn't seem to hurt that program very much. Yeah. And then, you know, it, this is not all a given. We're going to have to, again, we don't know that the Big Ten's interested in Oregon and Washington. Right. You know, that's that's the we all think that if there's enough, if there are other teams that have options, it's Oregon and Washington. But there's still that if. Yeah. I, you know, USC, UCLA, L.A. is just different than Seattle. It's different than Oregon. You know, those are, that's a different market. And the idea that those two schools, as good as they've been in football in the past, and Oregon still is, are somehow as attractive. I think the Big Ten is going to have to stop and swallow for a bit, see what they can do. Now, to me, the bigger attraction of the Big Ten is if they can finally lure Notre Dame and take Stanford with them. Right. Right. Which is which is the other scenario people don't talk about. Yeah. Well, and there's yeah. I mean, we could you know, there's the ACC, you know, some sort of alliance there. We don't know. I mean, if. You know, Oregon and Washington might talk to the SEC, you know, or something like that, or some of the Big 12 schools take off for the SEC. But, of course, it's the same argument. You know, why would the SEC want Oklahoma State when they could have had Oklahoma State when they took Oklahoma and Texas? You know, why would they want Oregon when Oregon is a rival of USC when it comes to recruiting on the West Coast? Now that USC is going to be a member, why would they want to have Oregon competing for players? They want to keep them down in the – the boondocks with the other remnants of the Pac-12. 
I so, mean, doesn't some part of you think that there was, if not an open agreement, at least some handshake deal for, with USC that says, you know, we're going to hold off. We're not going to take any other schools. I mean, the report this week was that the number one reason that the Pac-12 didn't expand when the Big 12 was looking at trouble is because, shockingly, USC blocked it. Yeah. Okay. So nobody is going to rely on the ethics, morality, or just general <laughs> good person view of USC on anything. Okay. They are who they are and they are USC and they are only USC, which I think is probably one of the reasons that the UC, the California regents are not all that thrilled. Yeah. I don't think they like being painted with that same brush. Yeah. We'll see what the regents do when they meet, maybe, uh, take some of their profits and give it to Cal, you know, that would be a, mm-hmm. that would be a fun scenario. So too many scenarios at this point, not enough answers. So we're going to have to focus on the 2022 season for better or for worse, which brings us back to dear old CU because this is CU at the game. So let's talk about Carl Durrell um, and what he had to say at the PAC 12 media day. Neil, I'll let you go first. I'll give you a quote. We have a great foundation. I believe you're going to see a quality team this year in a team which is going to win more games than they won a year ago. Carl Durrell. How does that statement strike you? Um, Breaking it down into its components, uh, the first part is coach speak that we get every year at this time. You're going to like our team. They're going to be interesting. They're going to be better. Maybe winning more games, they're going to have to improve a lot in an absolute sense from where they were last year and in a relative sense to the other teams on their schedule. They've got a lot of ground to close before they're going to be able to be in striking distance of some of these other teams. So I guess my position is the standard. They'll be better. It may not show up in the win column. And I do have some sympathy for Durrell because he came in at a bad time of year. Um, he had last year, at least to sit with an OC that he didn't want and with whom he could not work, obviously, because CU was too cheap to buy Shiverini out. Um, now that he has a full staff, there is a ray of sunshine into this dark room. So while we're in this uh, Edgar Allan Poe sort of environment, there is some room for hope here that the coaches actually are going to make a difference, that the players are going to unite again under this staff and improve physically and then have some sense of something to play for that they didn't seem to have last year. Okay. Well, along those lines, Brad, another quote from Durrell, the positive is that we're able to build a team with guys that are like-minded and players that are on the same page. Everything is moving in the right direction. Now, this is the third year. Uh, Granted, he came in in February for his first year as a COVID year in six-game season, but he's had two off-seasons. Should uh, see you've been moving in the right direction a little sooner? Of course. And... You know, what we're seeing, both we're seeing a disrespected Carl Durrell, which is fascinating. He's uh, he's more fiery. 
he was, I think, more angry at at this media day um, than I think we've seen him. I mean, one of the things we value from Carl is that calm demeanor. And he's a little more fired up. I think he felt both, I think he felt somewhat betrayed by some of the transfers. And so, yeah, we should have been doing that. And I think, I think Carl understands that very much. But I also think he truly does believe, if you listen to him, that this is a more unified team, that it's a better coaching staff. The more we hear, the more we understand there must have been some significant conflict between him and Chevarini. That that I think Carl believes that that impacted the the locker room and everything else. And so I don't, you know, everybody loves Darren Chevarini. He was a great player. He's a fiery guy. But everything we hear after that seems to be that that wasn't working. And Carl believes now it's going to. We will see. The hardest thing to predict is how much coaching can improve a player. Yeah. Well, Neil, there doesn't seem to be too much enthusiasm in the sense that uh, <laughs> in the all Pac-12 media teams came out, 11 teams had at least two players on the first and second teams, and one team didn't have anybody on the first and second team. That was dear old CU. And since we don't have divisions this year, Adding insult to insult, the Pac-12 media poll, instead of picking CU to finish last in the Pac-12 self, picked Colorado to finish 12th in the Pac-12. Darrell's quote, I know there's little expectation of us this year. We know that's what's there, and there's a lot of people who don't know. So echoing what Brad said, are you hopeful that – we no one in the national media and the Pac-12 media just have no clue as to what's going on in the Champion Center, and that uh, they're going to surprise the world come September second. I'm going to endanger my large see you at the game paycheck. Uh, <laughs> it's my role to be the resident pessimist, and reading some of the posts on the website and listening to coaches, listening to to analysts, and to you too is that. There is some possibility here that the coaching, the healthy players that we can get into in a minute, the strength and conditioning coach, there are reasons to suspect if we project along those lines that CU could be materially better on offense. It's just that heard this so many times before that I'm just not going to bite on it for a while, but I will acknowledge, I I think they're going to be emotionally and schematically and physically better this year. Well, statistically, it'd be difficult to be worse than they were last year. 129th in total offense out of 130 teams. So literally nowhere to go but up. Now, again, the practice schedule's out. Uh, no open scrimmages, nothing open to the public. They are going to let the media on media day, August 6th, be there for an hour, hour and a half of practice, which would probably just be running up some drills and some basic plays. So nothing from the outside is going to be learned about this team. So I guess we're taking it on, on faith, Brad, that uh, with a new offensive coordinator that was 
wait for it, not retained by Minnesota, that it can't be any worse than what was going on last year. It's got to be better, right? It's got to be. Well, now let, let's make a fine distinction here, but I'm a lawyer and I get to do that. <laughs> We're not taking it on faith. We're being asked to take it on faith. Those are two different things. Okay. We have every reason and every right to question whether or not that's going to be true. If they choose not to provide us with the information to know it, then we'll know it the first game. And that's that's just where we're going to be. We may not know who's going to start a quarterback until they blow the first whistle. That's how Carl chooses to run this program. I'm not particularly thrilled about it. We, like I said, we're only now learning kind of around about about what appears to have been division in the locker room last year. So, yes, we are being asked to take it on faith. It doesn't say we have to do it. Fan is short for fanatic. We're going to try. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you know, one position group that we are definitely going to be paying attention to and not getting much information on would be who's going to be the starting quarterback. Now, Carl Durrell a couple of weeks ago said that Brendan Lewis started 12 games. He's the driver of the bus. It's his to lose. You know, basically it's his job. But now he seems to be talking more about that Shroud is going to be given one, you know, playing with the ones, that it's going to be an open competition. A positive that there's going to be a quarterback race? Or are you concerned that we don't have a starting quarterback a month before the first game? Well, yes. Uh, <laughs> Either or, in, yes. In, in a word, uh, it's encouraging that there's going to be an open competition. And I think that's a challenge to both guys. But I sense in that the implication that maybe Durrell, while praising somewhat softly the incumbent, left room for the challenger. And I'm going to back off my prediction a little bit. I think uh, and after the spring, I said that the incumbent was about a 90% chance. I may soften that a little bit here in the coming weeks. But even if it is the incumbent, it will be a better offense and he will be a better quarterback. It's just how much better he would be. Okay. Uh, however, I do hold it. Out the opposite, excuse me, I hold out the, the chance that it's going to be the other guy. Um, watching him throw and work, he just seems to have so much talent. Um, I'm waiting to see how this comes out. Okay. Well, Brad, all surprise to the opposition, TCU not knowing who to prepare for, making them watch JT Shroud Tennessee games from two years ago in preparation for the buffs and their new offense. I interviewed, well, I've been three wide receivers, two tight ends, and two offensive linemen. And either directly or indirectly, they all kind of talked about how important it was to know who the quarterback was. That whether it's how they threw the ball, how they ran the offense, how they ran the huddle, that it was good to know who the guy was, who the, the man was. So is there something lost here by being so secretive or are we just going with the idea that the coaches are going to decide on the starting quarterback and just hope that 85 players don't tell anybody who the starting quarterback is going to be for the next month? 
the players know. Even if they don't know, no, they know. And so they are going to be told not to tell anybody. But if one of those two guys shows himself to be the better quarterback, the wide receivers will know. The team will know. The, the worst case scenario is that that doesn't happen. And, you know, that that's up to how they play. So it's not the secrecy, I don't think, bothers the players nearly as much as it might us. If we don't hear coming out of the other players something, that may be worst case scenarios. We have two mediocre quarterbacks who have nothing to distinguish them. And that, of course, is our worst case scenario. Well, Neil, you're a, a big fan of uh, the offensive line and big fan of being concerned about Tommy Brown, um, whether or not he's going to be able to play. Kind of hinted at uh, that Tommy Brown, R.J. Sneed, the wide receiver. This is a quote from Durrell. We think by the end of camp, they should be practicing in a full go. By the end of camp, does it concern you that uh, two potential starters, two transfer potential starters, are entering fall camp um, on the not full participant list. That's been one of those fears that's in the back of one's mind, and you are loath to bring it to the front. But since you have forced me to undergo <laughs> this agony, I'm very concerned because they're not just potential starters or top of the depth chart as we go into the camp, is that they are key players. Both of them. Sneed is going to probably be our top receiver. Tommy Brown clearly is the most talented that I can tell of the potential starters for the offensive line. And he, Brown, was acknowledged by other O-linemen as emerging as somewhat of a leader. So I'm very concerned about that, counting on both of those guys to have big years. And they are the keys in great part to the improvement of the offense. Those guys are gone. Uh, our offensive potential diminishes significantly. Okay. Well, one piece of good news, I don't know, you know, this all on social media since we're not getting a whole lot from the Champion Center that uh, there was a Twitter picture of one of the assistant coaches who was moving and he had five offensive linemen helping him and they all posed for pictures. They're all very large individuals wearing shorts and Tommy Brown was in there and one, he didn't have any braces on anything. And two, the fact that he's helping the coach move gives you some hope that he's not restricted in terms of just normal activity. So perhaps his injuries or whatever is uh, holding him back, it will not be serious enough to keep him from being a full go come September 2nd. Brad, any thoughts on the offensive line, or do you want to talk about the uh, quote-unquote skill positions? You know, only to repeat what Neil always says, that, that if that group isn't better, it doesn't. the rest of it doesn't matter. Okay. Well, we've got Coach Terrell talking about Alex Fontenot and Deion Smith kind of being a one-two punch. So that kind of gives us a little bit of a, an indication as to where things are lining up on the running back room. Wide receivers... It's one of those things where, you know, we have a bunch of good guys, talented players, young, talented players, but no real standouts. And unfortunately, you can't take four two stars, put them into a 
blender and come out with two four stars. Mm-hmm. You know, you can only have two guys on the field. They did mention that everybody's talking about Jordan Tyson, who is an incoming freshman that seems to uh, be impressing everybody. And of course, you've got Montalimonius Craig, Daniel Arias. You've got, you know, you don't have the names that people recognize: Stanley, Brendan Rice. You know, you you know, you've got players that have left, but there does seem to be talent in both running backs and wide receivers, and hopefully behind Brady Russell at tight end. Neil, can the those players find out of those? 10 or 12, can we find three or four? They're going to be productive enough to merit all Pac-12 consideration four months from now. If one looks at the wide receiver group, somewhat like a basketball team, where they don't have and should not have a homogenous skill set, there needs to be various roles within that position group. And you need to have a guy that stretched the field. You need to have a guy that can pop into the soft spot in his own squat and get a first down. Um, you need someone that's that can take a short screen pass, a wide receiver screen, and get a first down. If they can fulfill those functions reasonably well with what they have now, they could be a very productive group. As to tight end, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm blanking on his name, but the kid that was um, second on the depth chart in the spring. I'm impressed with him. There is some depth there behind Brady. That could be a very good position group. Um, the offensive backs, they can get tough yardage, but no one's going to hit the home run that I can see. But if they can get some holes, they could be productive. So there's, again, there's some reason to be if we just project from what we know from last season and spring, some potential there. Okay, well, speaking on behalf of most of the Buff Nation, if we can find receivers that can run a seven-yard pattern on third and six, we'd be pretty pleased with that. Brad? Well, but also, I'd like to have somebody catch more than one pass 10 yards down the field. I mean, the problem wasn't just running six-yard patterns on third and seven last year. It was that the defensive backs were standing at at the 10 yards back. We didn't, with the exception once or twice of Rice, Nobody, nobody feared our deep threat, but you know, I, to me, wide receiver is truly one of those positions where you just play yourself. You pick who's best by playing. And I don't doubt that we will have quality starters by the end of camp. The first couple games, I think there is enough talent there. There is a wide USC level talent, but I think there's enough talent there that some of those guys are going to step up and, and be able to play in the back 12. Okay. Well, Neil, the, the uh, one unit that seems to have some accolades or at least some promise would be the defensive line. Are you still bullish on the CU defensive line? And as Brad was talking about, you know, as goes the line on offense, so goes the offense. If you can't stop the run on defense, pretty much doesn't matter what else happens. So got some talent, got some actual returning starters along the defensive line. And if you want to talk about linebackers, how are you looking at the front seven going into fall camp? And what are you hoping to hear from the the little tidbits that we get in the five minute post practice talks from Colorado? 
One of the internet sites picked CU's defense to be last in the Pac-12. And I thought that was harsh. I don't think that's correct for the following reasons. They may have given up points and yardage last year, but they were on the field all the time. <laughs> and wearing down, is it happens. And there's only so many times you can run the same scheme before the opposition doesn't come up with an effective counter for it. So the more time you're on the field as a defense, the more exposed one becomes as well as fatigue. To your question about the D-line, I like those guys. They have some depth. They have some talent. They're good. Linebackers uh, on the inside, I think we're going to be fine, especially with the transfer. And what we saw last year from some of the players that were filling in for Landman. On the outside, now depending upon their scheme, if they're more 3-4 or 4-3 or 7-diamond or whatever you want, is some of the outside guys showed some speed and athleticism last year. If they can build over the summer, or hope they have, and continue to have a good camp, there is potential there. They may not be first-game stars, but by midseason, they could be productive players. So that rather than picking that front seven as bottom of the barrel, I'm going to go about mid-conference for the front seven in terms of their effectiveness if they get a fair shake from the offense. Okay. Well, at this stage, middle of the pack, Oh. In the middle of Pac-12 at this point, in pretty much any position group would be uh, welcome news. Anything you're looking for from fall camp on the defense? Uh, got a defensive backfield that's lost three or four. Well, we know they're starting because they made all Pac-12 teams um, for other schools. Bunch of young guys in defensive backfield, but again, talented young guys in defensive backfield. They seem to be getting a lot of positive reviews. What are you looking for? Are you looking for Nico Reed and two other names to prop out as shut down corners that uh, we're going to lie on? Are we uh, just going to, like everything else, wait for the TCU uh, visiting team to roll out into Folsom Field and see who trots out onto the field and see what happens? Uh, not Shut down corner is not going to happen. The question is going to be whether we can throw enough double teams at the right guys and get enough pressure to let this young defensive back field grow. These are going to have to be some guys with short memories because there's there's going to get, they're going to get beat. They're going to get beat not necessarily because they're not good enough to play, but because they're going to be playing wide receivers who are more experienced, who know more than they do. So yeah, we are going to see I think some frustratingly long plays long passes completed against us. And we're just going to have to deal with that circumstance and hope that, like I said, we can, we can make it up in other places. Again, I think this is my expectation is that this is a defense that will be substantially, if not vastly better by game five. And if they can just not get beaten down and not get injured, there may be some hope that they will step up quite a bit come second half of the season. That may be too late. Yeah, considering the, the first half of the season is a whole lot easier than the second half of the season. And we'll yeah. talk about the go through the schedule in our next podcast in the middle of fall camp. But between yeah. now and then, Neil, you like to read the tea leaves from the post-practice press conferences. Is there anything that you think you'll be able to sift through and learn 
um, from Calderos comments and whatever assistant coaches are allowed to talk to the press, or are you just going to take it everything with a grain of salt and just hope we don't have any injury reports? Well, excuse me. I think coach Durrell has some hangover from his MI six days where he doesn't <laughs> say anything that he doesn't have to say. So trying to piece something together from post-practice stuff is going to be very difficult. I think the best we can hope for is that guys are healthy. Guys are coming together, actually. And that's about it. If I think Brad hit it, if guys can stay healthy, especially some of the younger guys that are going to be playing key roles, if we can keep them healthy and confident, then hopefully, as Brad said, by midseason, they'll be better. I think they're going to get a test of different kinds. In Stair Force, they're going to be in run support most of the day, but there's going to be that occasional uh, play action pass where they're going to throw it over their heads. So expect that. Brad's right. Against Minnesota, they're going to have to be balanced quarterbacks, cornerbacks, and safeties, equally effective against the run and pass. And if there's going to be an early test, it will be that game. Yeah. And they're going to have to, again, the hardest thing to predict is how much coaching can impact that. Right. Right. Those kids are going to have to, and you know that the the defensive backfield is going to be designed to keep it in front of you. Don't make the big mistake that we're not going to see a lot of, a lot of cornerbacks out there running one-on-one with SC wide receivers. If, If they are, then that is a failure of coaching. Brad, you're right. I think what's a lot of the pressure is going to be on the DC to design schemes that will help the younger players. And especially, as you said, turn up the pass rush. He's going to have to come up with ways of making their job easier. And if he can do that, at least for a while, that will give these guys an opportunity to mature. But that's yet to be seen. Okay. Well, we'll have to leave it at that for now. We're going to get together in a couple of weeks. We'll be halfway through fall camp. We'll have some news, not a whole lot of news, but we'll have some news, I assume. Don't want to turn people away from see you at the game, from reading see you at the game, because there's nothing to read right. every day. But we'll try and figure out what we can from the little tidbits we're giving during fall camp. And we'll go ahead and we'll do our game-by-game predictions for the 2022 season. And then the, then the podcast after that is going to be our first tips. And we'll start talking about the TCU Horn Frogs. So it's coming fast, coming furious. So thank you, gentlemen. We will talk with you in a couple of weeks. Take care. Brad, Stuart, nice. Thank you. Thanks for listening. With the completion of the 2022 See You at the Game NIL interview series, we're back to our regular podcast with Brad and Neil. Up next will be our mid-fall camp podcast with news from fall camp, plus our game-by-game predictions for CU's 2022 season. I hope that you are subscribing to the podcast as we are about to go from every other week to weekly podcasts during the regular season. And you don't want to miss any of the upcoming episodes. 
As you hopefully know by now, the podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast sites. If you're not a fan of downloading podcasts, all of the episodes can be listened to at the See With The Game website. I'll be back again soon with Brad and Neil as we turn our attention to the 2022 season. Until next time, be well, stay safe, and go Buffs! Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.